Welcome to Highland Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 7, 2019, we conclude our series titled Walk This Way from 2 Timothy. Today's sermon, Reflections from 2 Timothy, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager. We hope you enjoy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Thank you so much for the family that you have given to us. Why is Dad giving the guy a blanket? Hold the door for Grandma Jay. Thank you. I got you. I got you. We thank you for the privilege that we have of serving you and to be disciples. I'm so sorry, baby girl. Let's try again, okay? Go ahead and ease it forward. It's okay. Let's go. Come on. I got you. Good job. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Open up to 2 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 4, verse 22. Um, We're kind of going to pick some big themes that we've seen every single week that we've gone through uh, the book. And we're also going to ask a big question. Today's question, we're going to ask, how do I look? You ever looked in a mirror before? That's a silly question, right? Some of you are like, I I looked at a mirror for an hour and a half this morning, getting ready for church, right? Uh, I, I caught my, a glimpse of myself in a mirror several months back, and I was terrified by what I saw. Uh, you've experienced this before, a newly formed pimple or something happening and you wake up, it wasn't there before and suddenly you're aware of something that's on your face. Uh, and, and this is what happened. I was walking through the bathroom. I just got a haircut the day before and looked in the mirror and looked at myself again and then stood as close as I could to the mirror and then slowly lifted up my hair and looked right around here and right around here and noticed that the hairs that used to be there had migrated to my nose and to my ears. Um, So it was this thing that I've heard happens in life where you don't lose it, it just kind of moves. Um, And I I saw that, I was like, ah! And I I kind of freaked out. But uh, that's kind of what we do when we look at the mirror, don't we? We most of the time are looking for imperfections. We don't glance at the mirror and look for perfect because we, we know we probably don't look all that perfect. Maybe you're looking in the mirror, checking out your outfit and asking the question, how do I look? Or you do your makeup and when your makeup's done, you look in the mirror and say, how do I look? Or you do your hair, how do I look? Or you're at the gym and you're working out and you're seeing if you got that like tricep triangle. It's like, how does that look? And you're like looking at your abs in the mirror and trying to see how do I look? And this is what we do. We look in the mirror and ask the question, how do I look? This morning, Um, We're going to look at the entirety of 2 Timothy and ask the question, how do I look? Much like looking in a mirror. The Bible actually talks about this. In James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, it says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word, check this out, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, who does it, who learns from the law 
and then acts accordingly to what the scriptures say, being no hearer only who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So this morning, we're going to hold up the mirror of 2 Timothy and ask the question, how do I look? We're going to ask the question, how do I look? So that we can see what imperfections exist in our life so that by the grace of God and the power of his spirit, we too might be able to change. Let's pray. God, give us your eyes this morning and give us humility. God, as we ask the question, how do I look? Would you remove any ounce of pride that rises up that says, I look pretty good, I look pretty great. God, would you help us see where we're, where we're, where we're falling short? God, as we look at some of these big themes from our study in 2 Timothy, we ask that you'd call to our memory things we've learned before, that you'd speak to us again through the topics and things we've been challenged with that we've learned during our study. God, we love you. ask you to help us this morning. Give us your eyes so we can see the way you intend us to see, your ears so we may hear you, your mind so we would know you, and a new heart that we can follow you and love you with everything that we have. God, we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Three big topics we've really covered over the course of our study. We're going to visit each of those three today intently, though briefly, and then ask the question when it comes to this topic, how do I look? The first big theme that we've seen is the call to share in suffering. The call to share in suffering. Very early on in the book, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 Timothy was challenged this pretty much right away. Verse 8 said this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He says, do not be ashamed. Now this word ashamed, it really means embarrassed. Do not be embarrassed. Now maybe you say, well, what have I got to be embarrassed about? Well, think back to when you were a kid. Okay, you showed up to school on Monday. All your friends are asking, what'd you do over the weekend? You know you didn't do a whole lot, but you went to church. Right? What'd you do over the weekend? Now, you have the opportunity. Do you say, well, I went to church with my family? Or do you say, nothing? Because you know if by saying, well, I went to church with my family, that might bring you into a conversation where you feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe you feel a little bit embarrassed about that. Or maybe as an adult, you're having dinner with a buddy who lets you know, um, hey, man, I'm, I'm sick. Not just like a little sick, like I'm really sick. And you've been friends for a long time and you see a door swing wide open to where you can talk about faith and talk about hope, hope that comes from Jesus Christ. But the shame creeps in, this embarrassment creeps in and you wonder, man, but what what will he think about me? What will he say? What if he asks a question I don't know how to answer? They're all situations, I'm sure, that we face. Do not be ashamed. Do not be embarrassed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be embarrassed about what Christ has done for us, and don't be embarrassed about who Christ is, nor of me. Don't be embarrassed of Jesus, and don't be embarrassed of Jesus' people, but share in suffering. Share in suffering together with one another as we live the Christian life. Yes, we will face some suffering, some trials, some tragedy, some persecution. It is bound to happen. Later in the book, um, Paul tells Timothy it's actually inevitable. It's not a factor of if suffering or if persecution will happen. The teaching he gives them is that it's a when. Not if, but when. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. Godly means like God. 
all who desire to live like God in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will face suffering. Well, why is that? Jesus actually explains it in the Gospels. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, remember, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. Now, if the world doesn't like Jesus and your aim in life is to be like Jesus and you truly become like Jesus, if the world doesn't like Jesus and you are like Jesus, that means the world probably won't like who? You. It's just, it's just what Jesus says and it's what's reinforced by Paul here to his young protege and young pastor, Timothy. It's the first big theme we see arise in our book, the call to share in suffering. So how do we do this? How do we share in suffering? How do we be bold? How do we um, live a life that's unashamed for the gospel? Well, there's several encouragements Paul offers the young pastor. We'll look at a few of them right now. The first thing we need to know in order to live out this life and share in suffering is that we're not alone. You need to know you're not alone. There's people around you who love you, who care for you, who want to support you. This was exactly Paul's experience. See, Paul experienced people who walked away from him, people who abandoned him, people who no longer supported him, and he also experienced very, very close friendship. He talks about it in chapter one, verses 15 through 17. He says this, you are aware that all who are in Asia, okay, so not just a few people, We're not talking about a couple of people in Asia who turned away from Paul. That means they were once with him. To turn away from something, it means you were near at some point. All who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are are these two guys. (laughs) You say it. I'm not going to say it. You try to say those names. These two guys who are written down in scriptures for all eternity for turning away from an apostle of the Lord. But he says this, see the reality is some people will walk away from you, but I love the encouragement he offers. He says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of this other guy. (laughs) Why? Because he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. Maybe this has been true of your Christian experience, that you've had seasons of life where there's close friendship and for whatever reason those friends leave you. There's also seasons of life where like this guy, Onesiphorus, where he comes and refreshes Paul. It's like a cold, water, cold drink of water on a hot day and how refreshing and cooling and life-giving it is to drink that cold water. This is like that. He often refreshed me. He came to me when times were hard. He came to me when I was hurting. He came to me when I was sick. He came to me when I was in chains and he refreshed my spirit. Yeah, I kind of wanted to quit. Yeah, I didn't want to embrace the suffering. Yeah, I didn't want to just accept the call. I kind of wanted to just stop. But people like him, like Onesiphorus, they come and refresh us. He says he was not ashamed of his chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and he found me. That's a true friend. That's that's true Christian friendship. People who rally around you and understand how difficult it can be to live the Christian life with conviction, but they encourage you, they inspire you, they refresh you, they love you, they care for you. See, a little tidbit that Paul gives Timothy is that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. So if you're going to take serious this call to share in suffering for our Lord, it means you need to have a circle of believers around you. 
If you're feeling lonely this morning, if you're feeling like no one's on your team, like no one's on your side, I'd encourage you, um, join a small group. Why? Because that's where you find this type of community, those type of people who refresh you, those type of people who seek you out, those type of people who search for you and care for you when you're sick, when you're hurting, when you're down, when you're discouraged, when you're feeling ashamed, whatever it might be. Get in a circle with some people who love you, who are for you, and who are champions of you. We need to know we're not alone in this thing. Secondly, we need to know Jesus. I don't just mean know about Jesus. Maybe you remember this. We talked about this topic once before. Many of you know about my kids, right? How many of you know about my kids? At least know I have kids. How many know I have three of them? How many of you know their names even? Okay, so lots of you know about them. Very, very few of you actually know them. You know about my kids. You even know about my wife. But many of you don't really know my wife like I know my wife. Many of you don't know my kids the way that I know my kids. See, some of you know um, which of my kids love ketchup and which of my kids loathe ketchup. Some of you know which one of my kids, for whatever reason, his favorite, this doesn't make any sense, by the way, his favorite food is mac and cheese, but cheese by itself, he will not eat it. See, some of you actually, actually know my kids. That's what he's talking about here. We need to know Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12 says this, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed to suffer. Why? For I know, know whom I have believed. Okay, he's not saying I know about Jesus. He's not saying I can rattle off some facts of who Jesus is. It's just not about that for Paul. It's not about this religious experience of knowing all the right things and saying all the right things and even trying to do all the right things. It's not about religion. It's not about facts. What it's about to Paul is this relationship and friendship that he has with Jesus. If you're going to suffer for somebody, you need to care about them, right? You're not going to just suffer for someone you don't know. If we're going to embrace and accept the call to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of Jesus, then we need to be surrounded by people and we need to know Jesus. Third thing, we need his power. We're not going to get through this on our own. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us his spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. How do we really live the Christian life the way it's meant to be lived? It's, it's, it's through this power that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's through the support of God in us. See, our default position is always fear. If I'm going to try to live this life on my own, apart from the power of God, I'm going to clam up. Um, I'm not going to be bold. I'm not going to be courageous. Shame and embarrassment will creep in. But while I'm living and operating under the power of God and trusting in his power to get me through those conversations, I can accept this call and do as we're supposed to. So let's look in the mirror real quick. How do you look? How do you look? If you hold up this first big theme that we see of accepting the call to share in suffering, how do you look? Are you living life by yourself? If you are, get into a group. Find encouragement, find support. Maybe this morning you only know about him. You know about Jesus. You, you have some facts. You consider yourself a religious person. Get to know him. Move from facts to friendship and religion to relationship. Truly get to know Jesus. Are you afraid? 
If you are afraid, it's because you've been operating under your own power and not the power of the Spirit, as Paul tells his young protege to do. How do you look? The second big theme that we see in the book is the charge to guard the Scriptures. The charge to guard the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14 says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, again, whose power are we tapping into? Not our own. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The good deposit, what's the good deposit for Timothy? Well, the good deposit for Timothy is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's about showing who we're supposed to be in this new identity that we have in Christ Jesus. It's about showing, and then it's also about sharing. It's about leading others, but then it's about personal living at the same time. It was all about Jesus for him, and that's the same thing it's supposed to be all about for us. We're supposed to guard the good news. We're supposed to guard the good news of God's word, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So how do we do that? How do we guard God's word? There's several things that are listed in the book, and let's cover four of them. Briefly, the first way that we guard God's word is by knowing it. We need to know God's word. We need to know God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this, do your best. And remember, he's not challenging us to be the best. He's not saying you need to be the best Bible scholar. He's not saying you need to be the best at Bible memorization. He's not saying you need to be the best in maintaining your personal quiet time. You need to be the best in your spiritual discipline. No, he's not saying that. But he is saying you need to do your best. You need to do your best to make sure you're spending time with the Lord. You need to do your best so you're hiding God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. You need to do your best in prioritizing your time with him. All of us are accountable for doing our best. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, because knowing the Bible can take some serious work, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is God's word, rightly handling God's word. You heard it said before that you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say? Yeah, you can if you use it the wrong way. If you want to just splice it apart and make it say whatever you want to, you're certainly welcome to do that. It's not the way God intended his word to be used. If you rightly handle the word of God, it means you will rightly communicate the word of God. You ever tried to handle something you had no idea how to use, like a power tool or or nunchucks? (laughs) I told first hour, someone bet me I couldn't use the word nunchucks in a sermon, so (laughs) joke's on them. No, I'm serious. You look at nunchucks for a second and you, and you think, how on earth could that be a, a real self-defense tool? You just, you look crazy trying to use it and you pick it up. Most of the time you end up smacking yourself in the forehead or in other places and you just get hurt trying to use the nunchucks. But here's the deal. There's people out there who can really rightly handle nunchucks. They know what they're doing. They've been trained, they've been equipped, they've done the work, they've put in the time, they know how to use it. They've been trained. They've done their best to present themselves as someone's approved, one approved with nunchucks. Now, it sounds crazy to say the Bible is kind of like nunchucks, but it kind of is. Okay, because when we, when we put in the work to truly know what God's word says, when we truly learn it, when we truly understand it, then we can go out and truly communicate it the way it's meant to be communicated. 
We can put in the work. We can become the worker who's approved, who has no need to be ashamed, who can rightly handle the word of God. It's what each of us should be able to do. We're supposed to know the book. By the way, if you're involved in our discipleship program, our second book is getting released very soon. It's called Knowing the Book. Not knowing this book, knowing the book, the Bible. So if you're involved in discipleship, this is coming out very soon. You can buy it on Kindle already. Um, Pastor Mark Ewell wrote this, by the way. It's great, great stuff with the help of Cat Oston. So um, pick one of these up and, and read it, learn it, and know the book. Because when we know the book, we can guard the book. The second thing, we need to value God's word. We need to know God's word. We need to value God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. This is towards the end of his time and end of his letter with Timothy. And he says this, when you come, bring my coat. Okay, it's getting cold. Bring my coat. And also the books. And above all, the parchments. When we looked at this last week, we saw the parchments are what? It's his Old Testament. It's his scriptures. It's God's word. And it's interesting. He doesn't say, above all, bring my coat because man, it is cold. No, you can, you can forget the coat. You can even forget the books. But do not forget my Bible. That's the one thing that he needs. That's the one thing he desires more than anything else. You can see that he values. It's the highest thing he places value on in this sentence. Above all, bring me my Bible. We need to value God's word like Paul valued God's word. Thirdly, we need to show God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He doesn't mean continue and continue to know it. He actually means continue to do it. Okay, continue in in showing this life. Continue in in living your life in accordance with the scriptures. It's not just about knowing, it's about showing. It's not just about learning, it's about living. We've, We've seen this throughout the entire book. If we know Jesus, we need to show Jesus. It's the way this is supposed to work. Okay, if we're going to guard the scriptures, it means our life reflect what the scriptures say. We need to show God's word. And then finally, we need to share God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Now, if you're ever having a conversation with someone, and they introduce your conversation with this statement, you should probably listen. Okay, I I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, who's basically the guy who has all all the kingdom, the authority, everything. I charge you in the presence of him. So he heard me say this, he saw me say this. He's on board with this too, Timothy, so listen up. I charge you, and then what's he say? Preach the word. Preach the word. Now, you might look at that and say, Thomas, I'm not a preacher. You're a preacher. Okay, I, I get it. Don't, don't confuse preaching the word with our, our, the lack of a command to get out and share the word because each of us should be doing this. There's a saying out there that says, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. Yeah, okay, it's cute and it's nice and I get it. But we should always use words. Back up what you show by with what you share. Share the gospel with people. Share the good news because in sharing the good news, we guard the deposit. We guard the scriptures that God has given to us. So let's look in the mirror again. How do you look? How do you look? Do you know it? Do you know the word? Do you value it? Is it just another book? 
This book's alive. It's not like Harry Potter. It's like no other book around. This, this book is alive. It can change you. Do you value it? Are you showing it with your life? Does your life look like the things that are written in this book? Are, are you sharing about it? Are you talking about the things and sharing who Christ is with those around you? Because in knowing, valuing, showing, and sharing, then and only then are we truly able to guard the scriptures. The third big theme that we've seen during our time is the commission to make disciples. The commission to make disciples. Second Timothy chapter two, verses one and two says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace. Again, where is our power to do this coming from? Be strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. This isn't something we're gonna try and do alone. This is something we're gonna try and do and live through the power and grace that comes from Jesus Christ and through the Spirit of God. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust, this is like pass it on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now our definition for discipleship we've been using as a church is intentionally multiplying Christ-like followers. Okay, intentionally multiplying Christ-like followers. And what you see just in this verse, if we can put it back up on the screen, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2, here's how we see this definition, intentionally multiplying Christ-like followers work out. So we have Paul at the top, right? Um, who's Paul pouring into? Well, in here, Paul's pouring into Timothy. What's the instruction from Paul to Timothy? He says, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to who? Faithful men, thank you, Elder Doug Milligan. Faithful men, that was not right. And what are those faithful men supposed to be able to do? To teach others, so if they pour into, I know this is getting small font, but you're able to figure it out. They pour into others. What do you think the others are supposed to do? Just stop there, be like, all right, we've did it. No, they're too supposed to keep going. See, it's the original multi-level marketing scheme. Do you see this? <laughs> it's a pyramid scheme. No, I like to think of it less of a pyramid scheme and more like an arrow because who's really at the top of this? It's Jesus. Right? That's the point of this whole thing is pointing people towards Jesus, intentionally multiplying Christ-like followers. Because of the work one guy has done, Paul, in this, below him, we see 15 other people. Through an intentional multiplying process of making people like Jesus, disciples, followers of Christ. This is what we are called to do. So how do we do it? How do we make disciples? A few things he tells us and we learn throughout the scriptures. The first thing we see is it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Disciple is not about the guy at the top on the inside of that pyramid. It's not about Paul. It's not about your pastor. It's not about the guy discipling you. It's about the person they're discipling people towards and that's the person of Christ and Christ alone. Discipleship is all about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11 verse one says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, that's Paul's goal, not to make people like Paul, but to make people like Jesus. That's our goal in discipleship, not to make people um, more like us, but to make people more like Jesus because here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if you wanna know how Jesus lives, I'll give you an example it's me. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I'll be your example. If you want to know where Jesus is, follow me because I'm chasing after him. If you want to know how to live a life like Jesus wants you to live, then try to live like me because I'm doing the best I possibly can to live the life Jesus has called me to live. 
Discipleship is all about Jesus. Secondly, discipleship demands relationship. We've seen from the beginning of the book how big relationship is to Paul and how big relationship is to Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 5 says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Your sincere faith. So Timothy's legit in who he believes Jesus is. He's legit in his relationship with Christ. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and then your mother and now I'm sure dwells in you. See, this is the multi-generational thing Josiah was talking about. See, Josiah came to the Lord. He was discipled by his father and now Josiah is discipling young freshman boys. And the call to them will be to someday rise up and disciple people beneath them as well. It's this multi-generational thing that we see. And think back for a second. My parents are sitting right here. They came to Jesus when I was two years old. Okay, where did my faith start? In their hearts. They, They passed it on to me. I fully intend to pass that on to my kids. And I fully intend to see it through that my kids pass it on to their kids. Think about it. How many of you had parents or grandparents that, that were Christians before you? Right? And their faith played a giant role in your life, right? It's through relationship. It's transferring truth through relationship. That's what discipleship is. It's growing in close relationship with other believers. Discipleship demands relationship. The third thing that we see is discipleship It's not optional. It's not optional. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So all authority, not just on earth, but the authority in heaven also. So basically Jesus says, hey, let's get this out of the way real quick. I'm the boss. Okay, I'm the boss of everything. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's look at this. Go, therefore, and make disciples. This is the command every believer has been given for all time since Jesus went back to heaven. It's called the Great Commission in the church. Right, the great co-mission, collective, community. It's something we are all together supposed to join into with the purpose and process and mission of getting out there and intentionally multiplying Christ-like followers. It's discipleship. It's what we're supposed to do. I ain't got time for that, though. Go. Man, I got a job. I got a house. I got a mortgage. I got kids. We got soccer. We got baseball. We got... Here's the fantastic part about what Jesus is saying here. He is not saying... When he says, go, therefore... He doesn't say, leave it all behind, quit your job, leave your family, move to South Africa. This does not, actually what go therefore means is as you are going. So as you're living your life in the context and culture in which Christ has placed you on purpose, you ever thought that before, that the job you have is not by accident, that God placed you to be a missionary? The neighborhood you live in is not by accident. The kids you have is not by accident. The friends you have is not by accident. That God has intentionally placed us in that community, that culture, that context, so that we would do this, the commission. 
that we take the time, that we take the energy, we take the effort to get out there and make disciples, to intentionally multiply Christ-like followers. Earlier this year, about a year ago, we totally changed our mission statement as a church. For the last 20 years, it's been love God, love people. Right? It's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, mind, mind, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as thyself. It's the great commandment. Love God, love people. We changed it. Why did we change it? We, we're trying to be a great church. We're trying to be a great church. Why? Because we serve a great God. Amen? Not a great God. We serve the God, and he is great. But we felt like it was missing, missing something. We had the great commandment down, love God, love people, but then there's this great commission thing that Jesus says. And we realized if we want to be a great church to serve our great, great God, then we need to do great things. And what are the great things we're commanded to do in Scripture? We're supposed to love God, love people, and make disciples. It's the mission of the church. It's the mission of every Christian in all of the world to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. Now what I love when we visit these three main themes throughout the book is they all come back to discipleship. They're not mutually exclusive. The command to share in suffering is most attainable in a discipleship relationship. Why? Because I have someone above me always helping me and pushing me through. Someone there when I've had a bad week or a hard time or something happened in my family, sickness, whatever it might be, they're there to push me, to encourage me through times of suffering. The command to guard God's word, to know it, to value it, to share it, to show it. In discipleship, you learn it. You grow to value it. You begin to show it, and you're challenged to share it. All of those things happen through discipleship relationships. And let me promise you real quick, we're, we're not, we have zero desire with this discipleship program that we're doing as a church to make Highlands look good. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus look good. That's it. That's what we're here for. Not what's at the top of the triangle, not our lead pastor, not anyone inside the triangle. The guy that we're out for to make famous is above the triangle. It's Jesus. Okay, so our goal in discipleship, it's not about changing our lives. Discipleship is not about changing lives. Discipleship is about becoming the person that God meant you to be. It's not about just changing who you are. It's about becoming something different. That happens through discipleship. It's our mission as a church, and we'd hope it would be your personal mission as well. And this morning, um, we, meaning me, the pastors, the elders, um, we'd love to challenge you to rise up and, and embrace the journey and embrace the commission. Because sadly, for a lot of Christians around the world, the great commission is the great omission. We don't live it. We don't do it. It's not supposed to just be a program. It should be the program. It's not something we add on to our life. It's meant to be the way of life. So if you take your notes out, on your notes, um, on the back side of your notes, you have this thing that says, be one, make one, as one. This is kind of our new discipleship initiative and mission as a church. Be one, be a disciple, like Timothy was to Paul, who was to Christ. Be a disciple. Commit to a discipleship relationship where there's a believer above you helping you navigate the troubled waters and difficulties of living the Christian life. Find encouragement from another believer who can point you in the right direction, in the direction of where Jesus is. That's what be one means. 
Be one, make one. Like Paul was to Timothy, so you can be to another believer. If you feel like, you know, I've lived some life. I think I know God's word pretty good. And, and I would really like to come beside and come along another believer and help them see where Jesus is. Help them become who God has called them to be. Not just make some changes in their life, but overhaul their life so they can become who Christ wants them to be. That's, that's make one. Okay, and if you don't fit either of those two categories, there's this third box that's a catch-all. And it says... I'd like some more info. Okay, because again, this isn't something we can just omit from our life. It's something that Christ has commanded all of us to do. To be a disciple, to make a disciple. Let me challenge you, take a next step this morning. Um, Take a look in the mirror. How do you look? Right, Are, are you willing to share in suffering for Christ? Are you guarding the good news of God's word? Have you accepted the commission to go and make disciples? Take an honest look at your heart. Take an honest look at your life this morning and ask God the question, how do I look? And God, if there's anything in me that shouldn't be there, if there's any, any reflection I see that does not resemble who you want me to be in Christ, then help me change. Let me pray for us. God, this morning we've looked into the mirror of your word and we've asked the question, how do I look? God, if we're off, would you correct us? Would you help us look more like your son, Jesus? Help us be unashamed. Help us guard your word. Help us lead others to you. Help us enjoy and embark on this journey and adventure of making disciples, of intentionally multiplying Christ-like followers so more and more and more people can know you and love you and live the way you've asked us to live. God, you've been so, so good to us, so gracious to us. Would you help us now respond and worship God? Would we not just sing with our mouths? Would you help us sing with our hearts? Would you raise up our heart to be affectionate towards you, to love you, to care for you? Jesus, we love you and we ask you all these things in your name and for your glory and your glory alone. And all God's people said, amen. Let me encourage you real quick. If you're gonna check one of these boxes today, check it this morning before you leave and then drop it in one of the offering boxes as you exit. If you didn't get a paper because you're technologically savvy, visit that link, highlandschurch.org slash discipleship. Sign up and we're gonna help you become who God has called us all to be. Highlands Church, we serve a great, great God. Amen? Let's get out there and do great things and worship for him. Bless you folks. Bye-bye.